Well, good. Well, this morning, I feel like I've got a, a word that's been burning in my heart for the last three or four weeks, and, uh, and so I'm going to release it today, and I'm going to do it in part one in the first service and part two in the second service. So I want to encourage you, I know it's maybe challenging to hang around for the second service, but check it out online, grab the second part of this because they're going to go together. And so we're going to set up in the first what we're going to talk about in the second, and it all, it all works together. And so I'm going to preach a nice light message entitled Overcoming Babylon. Just what you wanted at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. But we're going to do it. Amen. Well, I want to pray one more time just as we take a look at the word. Lord, we love you and our hearts are here for you. We thank you for the, for the beauty of being in a, a spiritual family that, that wants to love and adore Jesus as the center of everything. And so Jesus, have your way with us today. Have your, have your desire in us today. And, and Lord, I pray that you would release revelation on the word as I, as I do my best to offer to you the gift I have and and to give uh, the, 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 the congregation, our spiritual family, the, the words that you've put in my heart. So, Lord, I'm asking, would you come this morning? Would you engage us with yourself, instruct us, and, and draw us into you so that we can live lives that are worthy of you, all by your grace and all by your love? Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Well, this year has been, it's been a fantastic year. It's been one of my favorite years in ministry, quite honestly. Um, I, people, when, whenever I, I talk to people from different, you know, places around the nation or the nations, they say, so what's God been doing with you? I, the first thing out of my mouth, I say, I'm, I'm in the middle of one of my favorite years in ministry. And, and I just want to recap this year a little bit for us from a broad standpoint so we can kind of get our minds around it. At the beginning of the year, the Lord spoke to us and began to deal with us about resetting our hearts in three specific ways. And the first way was to reset ourselves before him, like, like Mary of Bethany. And the first few months, if you'll remember, of this year, we, we took week after week and talked about sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing his voice, leaning into intimacy with Jesus, uh, and and, uh, waiting on the Lord and allowing his presence and his direction to, to really govern our lives. And, and through those, those months, the Lord really began to encounter us. And even as a leadership team dealt with us about what it looks like to, to lead from Jesus feet and to not sort of run ahead in our own strength or by our own plans or our own strategies, but to wait on the Lord and to allow the Lord to give us his clear directions for us. And so in a lot of ways, uh, that's what we've been doing. Now, we've, we've continued so many different things, but during that season, we kind of just pulled back on a lot of the things we were doing to hear from God. I know that sounds crazy. Like, oh, you'd hear from the Lord before you do stuff. <laughs> I mean, it seems like that would be the most normal thing to do. And, but we realize this, that so often in ministry, there can be such a pressure to, to you know, show results, to, to show that you're, you're actually accomplishing things, that you'll just do things without God's clear directions. 
And so as a leadership team, we, we basically just circled together and began to fast and pray, asking the Lord, speak to us with clarity. And, and we launched our house churches and we did a few other initiatives this year, but we've really been just trying this year to engage the Lord at the heart level and allow him to direct our spiritual family. So we've learned a little bit this year how to lead from his feet and how to live from his feet. And we're gonna continue to, to emphasize that. And, and I remember at the beginning of the year, the Lord, he, he required me to repent publicly in the prayer room and here in our services for, for stepping into like a Martha spirit instead of living as a Mary from, from Jesus' feet, that, that, that Martha spirit, you're running around toiling, trying to prove yourself valid. And the Lord called me to, to really just turn from that and confess that publicly, and I did, and, and our leadership team did, and, and we've been endeavoring to just be intimate with Jesus this year and allow him to direct our hearts. And, and so it really just boils back to the things we've been preaching for a long time, which is living with the first commandment in first place, living, loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then loving our neighbors, loving one another as ourselves, living in that place, first and second commandment, the way that the Bible lays it out for us. Well, the second area of reset the Lord really emphasized for us was this area of spiritual family. And as we launched house churches and, and have talked many times throughout this year, things about ra racial reconciliation and, and really uh, growing in community, uh, we really feel like the Lord, it, we're not... We're not where we want to be, but the Lord has helped us a lot this year to grow uh, in a spiritual family. And, you know, we have 23 house churches. I, wanna, I just want to give a plug for our house churches. If you're not involved in a house church, you must get involved with a, a, a group of like-minded believers that will love you and care for you and challenge you and, and comfort you through difficulties. This is what the Christian life is, is that we, we live together as a body, as a team, as a family. You know, you can't do that a, a thousand people at a time, but you can do it about 25 or 30 people at a time. Amen. And, and so that's something the Lord's emphasized to us this year is this, this really um, focus on coming together as family. The, the Lord spoke to us at the beginning of the year and just really emphasized it throughout this year that he said, I'm, I'm not a CEO. God's not a CEO. He said, I'm a father. And my church isn't supposed to be an organization. My church is supposed to be a family. Amen. Can I get an amen? And that's how we're supposed to operate with one another as brothers and sisters, mothers and, and, and fathers, as spiritual family and flowing together in love. And, and so you know, it's this thing where you, you decide, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to look out for you. I'm going to care for you. I, I'm going I'm to ask God what his desires are for you, and I'm going to fight for your destiny even above my own. I'm going to contend for you and believe God for you. And, and when I see you going into what God's called you, I'm going to be right there behind you, supporting you and launching you into it instead of trying to cut in front of you and get into my, get mine for me. Hello. And, and, and there's something about family where we actually, we go for one another and we fight for the dream of God in, in others even before we fight for it in ourselves. That's, that's loving others as you love yourself. 
And, and we're, we're, not, we're not the best at it, but we're growing. And, and I've seen it grow over the last 18 months in our merged environment and this year in particular. Well, the third area that the Lord emphasized to us, and I feel like is really right now, this last part of the year, it's, an, it's the, the area that the Lord wants us to focus on uh, in, a, in a more um, kind of specific way, is the forerunner message. And, and we haven't really talked about that so much in, in services. We've preached themes that, that seed the forerunner message, but we haven't really identified it. And, and one of the things I want to do this morning is just give a, a moment on what that is. When we talk about forerunners or the forerunner message, what we're really just saying is being a people that's geared to ready our hearts for revival and the return of the Lord. Being a people who are, you know, living with our eyes open and our hearts awake, not lulled to sleep by the culture and the sway of the world system, but like Jesus said in, in Mark 13, watching and waiting, believing God that we know that there's a massive harvest of souls coming. The scriptures are really clear about that. And there's a, an outpouring of the spirit that's going to touch all flesh and all that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that there is this most tremendous day before us and it's the return of the Lord Jesus. Amen. And this is really the thrust of the New Testament. When you, when you read the apostles, I like to say it this way, the apostolic expectation was of a, a outpouring of the spirit and the return of the Lord. And so to, to live authentically or to live with a mindset like the first century, you have to live with that sort of mentality of, of being readied, of, of leaning in, of believing for breakthrough and revival and the kingdom of God coming on the earth in, in powerful ways in regions through, through massive outpouring and awakening and recognizing that the, the apostles, the New Testament, they were always calling the church forward to ready their hearts for the return of the Lord. Amen. In fact, it's one of the most clear pastoral things that the apostle Paul does through the New Testament is he uses the, the, the fact of the Lord's return to call the church to attention and call the church to live holy and to call the church to intimacy with God, that we would be unashamed before him in love at his return. And so he uses that language constantly. Well, the Lord really impressed us at the beginning of the year that this is something that we needed to dial in on to, to really express. And in some of our devotional times and our, our classes in different places, we've, we've emphasized it and we've talked about the themes on Sundays but uh, I feel like we're in this moment right now where the Lord really wants us to, to really emphasize it in a more specific way. And, and I'll just tell you my own personal experience over the last couple months. I think through July and through August, um, I was having one of the most unique uh, times with the Lord. Now, the beginning of this year, first five, six months was very unique, and it was it was a time where I felt like the Lord was just raining on us, especially in leadership with his presence. There was a fullness of, of like this, this joy welling up within us, this, this inbreaking of the love of God. There was a spirit of prophecy the Lord was releasing in a great way the first five, six months of this year, and it's continued. But then it seemed like in July and August, there was a bit of a shift, 
And my own personal experience and several others was that the Lord, it's almost like he softened us up at the beginning of the year and then began to bring us into this place of of real deep burden and prayer and travail. And so for me, I spent much of July and much of August, I mean, crying out in, in prayer until I would just go into these places of deep groaning and deep weeping, crying before the Lord, literally for hours at a time. And uh, when you have that experience, if you've had that experience, and when you have that experience, it will ring you out. I mean, emotionally, physically. And, uh, and I was experiencing this three and four times a week for a couple months. How many know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about travail of spirit? I mean, okay, should I explain? Okay, good. <laughs> three people, like, I think. Then the hands went up. Okay, good. And so... Uh, I was asking the Lord through that, what are you doing? And the thing that I felt like he was just really impressing me with was the state of the the nation and the state of the church and our massive need to wake up. Our massive, massive need to wake up right now. And that there's a influence that has dulled us so, so severely that right before our eyes in America, we're watching a, what I would say is the spirit of Babylon, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll give that much more clearly in a moment, but I, the spirit of Babylon really just come to maturity right before our eyes in our nation, and it's almost like the collective response of the church has been a yawn. It's like our collective response has been like, wow, it's really, it's really bad out there. Huh, I want to go shopping. I wonder what Amazon deals are happening now. And it's almost like there is no sense of urgency for the hour that we're living in right now. And there is a massive need. I have a, oh, I have a siren going off on the inside of me that's saying, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And it's like, I can't say it loud enough right now. And, and, the, and, and, and as, I'm, as I'm feeling the same thing, I'm watching so many in the church world just sort of like, just inebriated and drunk on the spirit of this age, sort of, sort of deluded into a false sense of security and comfort and, and right now is an hour that the church must be watching, waiting, and must be living with what Jesus described as a spiritual violence, not a physical violence, but a spiritual violence to stand against the sway of this world system. Am I making any sense? And so the Bible gets really, really clear about what I'm describing, and this is what's got my antennas up. The Bible is really clear that at the end of the age, there will be a delusional influence, a deluding influence that will come on the world to where the world will be drunk with and inebriated with wickedness and with sin, and it's as if the world just gets just casually more and more wicked and drunken right into a complete spirit of rebellion against God. And what's, what's got my attention right now is how that spirit 
that we're going to identify right now in just a minute, uh, this Babylonian spirit, how it is so pervasive in the earth right now, and it's almost like the church in America isn't even noticing. And so I want to turn to Revelation 17, and I want to I really kind of, in a certain way, shock us. And, and I don't even have to be shocking because the Bible is shocking enough. But I want to shock us to awake right now, to awaken, to have our eyes open, and to have our hearts alert. I talked about this kind of thing a few, few weeks ago uh, when we had the Day of Remembrance at the end of August, how my own heart, I found myself falling asleep and, and with the, the, the mass shootings that were, had, had just happened uh, several in one weekend, that as I was looking at the news reports, I began to scroll to see how many really got killed because in my own sort of sensation about it, it had to be a certain number before I was going to take alert. And I, just as I was doing that, I felt the Holy Spirit just say like, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. You're under the influence. You're under the influence of the sway of this world system. That it has to be 10 murders in a mass shooting before it gets my attention. And, and, and the Lord began to deal with me. Your streets are filled with violence. That phrase, your streets are filled with violence. And I knew it was a biblical phrase. I began to look it up. And every time that the people of God would go wayward, the, 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 the outcome of the sin of the people of God was the streets were filled with violence. That's how the Lord would describe it. And when I think about the situation just in America today, I think, man, our streets are filled with violence. It is an alarm going off right in front of us. And beloved, I'm just saying we must take note and more than just taking note, we must wake up right now. We must wake up right now. So in Revelation 17, this is really interesting. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a grotesque picture. What the Lord does is he shows John a vision of a woman riding a scarlet beast. And this woman has a name. She's called Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots. And this woman is arrayed in fine clothes, and she has a goblet in her hand that she's drinking from this goblet. And the, the, the goblet is filled, it says, with many abominations and the blood of the saints. I mean, this is a grotesque picture. Uh, it's something you wouldn't even want to think about, this harlot woman riding this, this horrifying-looking beast, drinking blood from a goblet. That's the Bible. That's Revelation 17. And, and the thing about it is that woman, she represents an influence that is going to fill the earth before the Lord returns. Most people, when they think about the end of the age, they go, oh, seven years in tribulation and whatever, whatever. And they don't actually pay attention to this thing that's emphasized, this Babylonian harlot. In fact, what's interesting, when you, when you look at the Bible, you'll find this. When you study prophecy, the longest prophecy in the Old Testament Jeremiah 50 and 51, it's one singular prophecy. 
It's about Babylon. And the longest singular prophecy in the New Testament, Revelation 17 and 18, right there together, is about Babylon. And this emphasis on this, this influence, this spirit called Babylon is, is really significant in the scripture. And what you'll hear oftentimes in, in churches, they just sort of throw it around, that's Babylon. And sometimes the holiness movements, everything is Babylon. And if you wear jeans, it's Babylon. If you put your hair up in a bun, that's Babylon. But the Bible is really clear what Babylon is and, and how it's going to fill the earth, how that spirit is going to fill the earth at the end of the age. And it's really clear that Babylon is riding a beast, which is Antichrist. Now, let's just look at this passage. Again, I'm, I'm, I want to be pastoral today, and I am, and the most pastoral thing I can do right now is sound an alarm. Oh, Amen. Revelation 17, 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. I marveled with great amazement. Amazing, John the apostle, this mature apostle, when he sees this vision of this Babylonian harlot, this mystery Babylon riding the beast, it causes him to marvel. And he's, he's with this, this uh, angel who's got the, one of the seven bowls, and the angel says, why are you marveling at this? Why are you surprised at this? And he goes, I'm going to show you what this is. And, he, and this is the thing about, about biblical symbols so often, biblical symbols, people, they, they see them and they go, oh, it must mean all these things. And they start trying to grab out of the air and pull in like what it could possibly mean. But 90% of the time, right there in the text, it's explained what the symbol represents. And that's what the angel goes on to do. He goes on to explain that this, this beast is this, this antichrist spirit and that this, this woman is this influence that's going to cover the earth. And it, it says it right there that the kings of the earth have committed fornication with. So what you're looking at is a picture of a demonic influence that's going to fill the earth at the end of the age, and that influence is going to be riding in on an Antichrist spirit. 
And what you find when you read Revelation 17, it's, it's a crazy picture, but there's this, there's this big reveal that happens. At the end of the chapter, that woman is pushed to the side and destroyed, and what emerges is Satan himself. And then Revelation 18, that chapter, shows us the judgment of Babylon. And what you end up finding out is this, it's, and it's, it'll curl your hair or straighten it or grow it, whatever you need. <laughs> I don't mean to be funny, it's, sorry. Um, but in Revelation 18, you find out that there's people. It's not just an influence. That there's nations. There's economies. There's merchants that are all tied up in this influence, in this system. There's kings of the earth. There's all sorts of economics. And then you realize something. The, the Bible says she's drunk on the blood of the saints. And by the end of chapter 18, it says this, that all who were ever martyred for Jesus, all who have ever been murdered, they were found uh, as, a, as uh, victims of Babylon. And so what we see is this, that there is a biblical story. I want you to just, let me just simplify this for you. There is a biblical story where you have the raising up of two women, and we get to follow this through the scripture. And what you find is this, that God, the father, is raising up a bride to marry his son. And Satan, as a counterfeit, is raising up a harlot to stand in opposition to, his, to, to the Son of God. This is a simple story. There are two women that the scriptures follow all the way from, from Genesis 11 all the way through. And, and we find that, that Satan's plan to raise up a counterfeit people that stand in arrogant opposition to the kingdom of God. And God's plan is to raise up a bride for his son. I want to remind you of the initiation of Babel or Babylon in the scriptures. It's Genesis 11. Uh, you can look at it later, read the story. But, but what you have is this, is that all the nations, all the, the peoples that, that, had, that had multiplied in the earth, they end up coming together around this one figure, this Nimrod. And they decide that they're going to build, they're going to build ultimately a temple that reaches the heavens. That tower that they were building was their own temple that reached the heavens. And what happens is this, the Lord comes down in the midst of that and confuses their language. And that's where we get Babel and Babylon. It means confusion. And what's interesting about it is it doesn't seem like that bad of a thing. When you read through the passage in Genesis 11, you go, well, why would the Lord come down and stop that activity? And you find it in verse 4 of Genesis 11, this simple phrase. They said, we do not want to be scattered throughout the nations of the earth. We want to make a name for ourselves. And this is a cornerstone thought about this spirit of Babylon. 
And it, it's just the, it's the oppositional thought of, of the spirit of the kingdom of God. And it's this, that people living to, to make a name for themselves or living for selfish ambition puts them in direct opposition to those that want to live for the kingdom of God or, or to say it this way, to live by loving obedience to Jesus. Selfish ambition puts you in direct opposition to loving obedience to Jesus Christ. They are two perpendicular paths that stand in direct opposition to one another. And at the cornerstone of what Babylon is, is this desire to make a name for yourself. Now that doesn't sound so bad. I mean, you know, I, I gotta look out for number one, don't I? No, I will tell you that's absolutely demonic. The looking out for number one, if it's gonna be, it's up to me. What do I want? What do I need? What do I prefer? My self-help, my self-preference, my self-care, all this stuff, my selfie, all these things that are being so emphasized in this generation, self, 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 everything. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it is an obvious sign of the spirit of Babylon possessing our world, possessing our society. See, in Babylon, it's all the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. In, in Babylon is this, this spirit that embodies the, the, the opposition to the kingdom of God, this antichrist spirit. It, it has false religions. It, it engages all the world economies. As I said before, it has all the martyrs and, and, and all the murders. And at the core of this thing is this idea of just living for self. And I'm gonna tell you, this is something the Lord has dealt with us in leadership and this spiritual family on so intensely this year. And what I was describing earlier about us just waiting to hear from the Lord was the Lord ringing us out and ringing out all the selfish ambition from us. Because, you know, in ministry, there's a pressure, there's expectations. Come on, pastor, lead us. Come on, grow the church. Come on, do something, you know, exceptional that we can all rally around. Come on, pastor, won't you produce something for us? And here's what pastors do. And I know because I've been this guy where you feel that pressure to have something to show. So you work and work and work and work. You toil to prove yourself valid. You produce just so you have something to show. And you don't care if it's flesh. You just want to be able to point to an accomplishment so it seems like you're actually doing the work of the kingdom. And you'll engage in your gifts and you'll engage in strategy and you'll work as hard as you can. And you know what it's doing all the while? People are going, you're doing good. Oh, that's so good. I love what you did. The whole time it's stroking your selfish ambition as you grow and in worldly influence and numbers and finance. And the entire time the Lord's going, sit at my feet, hear my voice. And the Lord wants not just leaders, but people, yes. his people, yes. to stop with all of this self stuff, 
with all of this need to produce for self and to sit down, hear his voice, and be obedient in love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not just about being a rule keeper because you love God. It's about being obedient to the voice of God as the whole way you live your life. Am I making sense? And see, that's what sonship is. That's what being a son or a daughter of the kingdom is about. It's hearing his voice and obediently following. It doesn't so much matter what you're called to do. It's have you been obedient to follow the leadership of the Lord? That's the whole thing. And the easiest way to engage in the spirit of the age is to just follow what everyone tells you is the right path to success. Just follow your own strengths. Just follow your own ambitions. Just make something of yourself. And I tell you, the enemy just loves that. Because if you're following your plan, your, your ambition, if you're following that, the scriptures are super clear that that is a nest for every kind of evil. Look at this right here. This is, these, this, these words are so intense. This is so simple. But I'm telling you, we are so under the influence of this thing that we, we can't even discern what the scriptures are saying. Look at James 3. Look at this passage. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Envy and selfish ambition comes confusion, disorder, and every evil practice. And beloved, this is what I'm trying to get you to hear. There is, there is a path for the people of God in which we push back on what the world says is successful. We push back on what the path the world demands us to, to go down, and we reject the sway of this world to make something of yourself, and we engage the heart of the Lord and allow the Lord to give us our calling, to give us our destiny, to give us the design and the desire that he has for us. The American dream is a tragedy. It's a tragedy because we've taught people you should follow your heart, accomplish your dream, make as much money as you can, and retire wealthy and rich with a good 401k and a nice health plan. That sounds so tidy and so clean and so good, and it's completely the opposite of the Bible. John Piper preached a message about 20 years ago at one day. It was a big, it was one of the first kind of big evangelical worship and, and preaching gatherings. 
And he told this story from Reader's Digest at the time where he read this story from the Reader's Digest about this couple who had saved their money. They had lived their whole life and they had, they had retired with a certain amount of money in their bank account. And now they had bought a house on the beach and they spent most of their time, most of their days strolling in the sunsets and collecting seashells. Seashells. So the point of their life became having enough money so they could walk around in sunsets and pick up seashells. And he said, in 10 years or five years or 15 years, they're gonna stand right before the God of all creation and they're gonna have to look him in the eye and he's gonna say, what was the point of your life? And they're gonna say, we worked so we could save all of our money so we could walk around on a beach and pick up seashells. And beloved, I'm just telling you, there is a delusional influence that has settled over America. And in the name of success, and in the name of ambition, and in the name of bettering yourself, the church has bought it hook, line, and sinker. And I'm sitting here looking at the progress of the church over the last decade, and my soul is its trembling and quivering within me. In the next service, I will break down specifically why, but I'm telling you, this thing is not getting lesser in the earth. It's getting more advanced, more amplified, and there is a delusional spirit falling on the church right now. And we have to wake up. Notice in the passage in Revelation 17, it says this. It says, the kings of the earth were committing fornication, but the nations were drunk. The kings of the earth were in bed with this harlot system, but the nations were falling under this inebriating influence. And you know what I understand about being drunk? You can have one drink and you almost feel nothing. You might have three drinks and you think, well, maybe, maybe I'm feeling something. By the time you have those next three or six drinks, you are so drunk, you don't even know how drunk you are. The influence, the inebriating influence of the spirit of this age, it's like the proverbial frog in the kettle. It's just gradual and gradual and gradual till you do not realize how much you lack sobriety. And I'm just trying to call us to alert, call us to awaken. And, and I really wanna ask you this. This is a huge thought for me right now. How much of your life is directed by loving obedience to Jesus? And how much of your life has been directed by fulfilling your purpose in some sort of version of selfish ambition? Because if selfish ambition is compelling your heart, I wanna call you out of that right now. I wanna call you out of that influence right now because the outcome of that will set you in opposition to the will of the Lord. And beloved, that is 
in a nutshell, the influence of Babylon on, on our hearts. 1 John 5, 19, it says this, the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. What's it talking about? It's talking about this Babylonian spirit, this mystery Babylon, this mother of harlots that's gonna pervade the nations of the earth, that's gonna settle as an influence, an inebriating influence on the nations, and there is a sway, there is a current, it's going a certain direction, and it's, it's going the opposite way of the kingdom of God. And I'm convinced of this, that the more the church looks like the world, the more the church is standing in diametric opposition to the kingdom of God. And beloved, over the last 10 years, I just want you to think about this. Over the last 10 years, there are movements that have hit the body of Christ that 10 years ago, no one, I mean, almost no one was, was thinking this possible. I mean, almost no one. There are entire denominations right now who affirm homosexuality and homosexual marriage and call themselves Christian. There are entire movements that are gay and saved. What I'm saying to you right now and calling that out is sin, if I were in Canada, it would be hate speech. Do you understand how this thing has continued to rise? Listen, we are not against people who are homosexual or people who struggle with same-sex attraction. We love them to the contrary. We absolutely love them, and we want to call them out of sin and into Jesus. That's, that's the word that we want to give them is that there's liberty for you from abuses, from, from all th- sorts of things that you've suffered that have caused you to be oriented a certain way. Just like we would call the fornicator out of your sin and the adulterer out of your sin and the one who's greedy out of your sin and the drug addict out of your sin. And I'm just telling you, beloved, right now, there is such a lightweight holiness in the church in the name of mercy. And what our problem is, we're imagining God is complacent because we don't experience judgment and we call it the mercy of God. And we are deluded. I'm telling you, we're deluded. We have to awaken to righteousness that Christ would shine on us. Please don't take me as angry. I'm concerned. I care. I care. And to the extent that sin is weighing down your heart right now, to the extent that these these ideologies have begun to penetrate your mind and cause you to, to become more sort of accepting of sinful lifestyles, I'm telling you, that's the sway of Babylon. That thing is going to be judged. The Lord is really clear. Revelation 18, that thing is going to be be judged. And here's what the Lord says to the people of God. Revelation 18, 4, it's repeated six times at least through the scripture. He says, come out of her, my people. Come out of her. And beloved, we cannot wink at this stuff right now. There is a beautiful holiness. The Lord 
wants to call the church into. There is a life in God with a happy heart that feels so free because I don't have any sin in my closet. And when I do sin, I repent, I turn to God. There's such a freedom and holiness that God wants to give us, such a beauty. He wants to adorn us with white garments as his bride. And I'm telling you, there is such an opposite spirit that's so delusional right now. There's a deconstruction of faith right now. Young people that are listening to voices that are calling you to deconstruct your faith apart from biblical truth, that is a deceiving spirit and a lie. That is not the spirit of the Lord. Should we look at our practices and see if they're biblical? Yes. Should we hold the scripture up to our lives and see if this is legit Christianity? Yes, but stepping outside of the church and outside of the Bible and then imagining you're going to get truth that's gonna direct your heart, that is a deceiving spirit. And the way that it's manifest now is we have people who are leaders in the body of Christ coming out on Instagram and saying, I don't believe in Jesus anymore because I've deconstructed my faith. Beloved, that is a delusion. That's a deception. And I have to talk to the young people. I don't know. I mean, he was a songwriter. I mean, we sing his songs in church, and and the guys come out, and now he says, Jesus isn't real, and I don't know what to do with that. And I go, I'll tell you exactly what to do with that. You pray for that guy, that mercy would strike his soul, that revelation would come on his mind. You call him back into Jesus, and you get your face in that Bible, and you let the truth of the word of God put such a plumb line in your soul that when you hear deception, you can discern it in a half second. That's what you do. You cry out for mercy, and you get into truth. Scripture is clear at the end of the age. Deception is able to draw people away from Jesus. And the reason why 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us they don't love truth. Most of us think we love truth. I don't think we mostly love truth because truth is uncomfortable. Truth is unyielding. Truth is painful. Truth is like an alarm clock that goes off at 4.45 in the morning and says, if you don't get out of bed, you will be late. Truth, it's just so difficult. People tell me, I don't have enough time. I go, I think you have enough time. You're deluding yourself. It's just how we manage our lives. We always insulate ourselves with excuses. Self-preference, I want truth, I want truth no matter how bad it hurts. Man, people come to me and say, I've got a problem with you. I go, tell me what I did wrong. I'm happy to repent. I would way rather be judged and repent on this side than stand before Jesus to some blind spot that nobody ever told me about that I'm gonna have to give an account for at the judgment. And so I know I sound intense, but beloved, I wanna tell you, I love you. I do not want this inebriating spirit in our spiritual family. And I don't want you running around with hidden sin, imagining that somehow God's mercy is winking at it because he's not. And there's judgment coming. There's judgment coming on the house of God, but I'm gonna tell you there's judgment coming on the nations. It's coming. Revival is coming and judgment is coming. And the church has to be alert, awake, and must come out of Babylon right now. Right now. And this, I know this sounds intense, but this whole issue of selfish ambition, 
What's good for me? What do I want? What do I prefer? What's my dream? What's my calling? As soon as we put my and self as the center motivator of our heart, we step right into that spirit of Babylon. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And this is how I know this thing. I mean, there's many ways I know, but this is one of the ways I know that this thing has become mature in society and it has pervaded the church. It's when I can read Bible truth and it sounds crazy in the current culture. Let me read a passage from Jesus' lips. Matthew 16, 24. Then he said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I just want to ask you, beloved spiritual family, is the Christianity you're living, is it an example of a denying of self and taking up your cross? Is it an example of losing your life and then finding it? And I know the culture tells you, you can have all these cool things for your life. And I know the church in many quadrants will pet that. And they'll tickle your ears with that. Just add a little Jesus. He'll make you better. He'll bless you. Just come to Jesus. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Did you know Jesus never said that? Jesus never said, come to me. I have a wonderful plan for your life. He says, if you want to come to me, deny yourself. And I'm... I'm broken over the version of Christianity that we've sold people. Because like an inoculation and a flu shot, we've given them just enough Jesus so that now their immunity is built. And they don't, they're not even susceptible to the real thing. Beloved, let me just give you a simple thought. I gotta close. Jesus died God, the eternal God died, bloodied and naked, beaten by his own creation to redeem us from something. He died to purchase us and bring us to himself, to set us apart as his own. And what we don't realize is the influences that we drink off of almost all the time are geared to set us in opposition to his purpose in the cross. And I just, I don't want to be legalistic, but I just, I want to, I want to help us. We don't realize that the influences that come through culture and media and entertainment, that they're geared to turn us away from him. Here's a simple thought. Are we entertained by the very things that Jesus Christ shed his blood to redeem us from? 
Are we entertained by fornication? Are we entertained by debauchery? When we, when we pull up the Netflix, do we just seed our soul with the very things that pin Jesus to the cross? I'm not trying to be legalistic. There is a joy in the love of God and a pleasure in God that you cannot get anywhere else. But while we're imbibing ourselves on the spirit of the age and we're dulling our spiritual senses and we're drinking of the very things that put Jesus on the cross, how, how can we be sharp and alert and awake in an hour that the earth needs a vibrant witness of the gospel? We must, we must come out of her. We must come out of her right now, beloved. Let's just, let's just stand. I know, I know it's f- more fun at other places. You're gonna get a prophetic voice when you come to this house and part of this spiritual family. We're, we're endeavoring to hear the word of the Lord and to share it. We may not always do it perfectly. I, I don't think we will, but we're gonna try to hear the Lord and speak his word. I don't want to apologize for anything I've said today. I just want to ask you to consider, have you come under this influence? Are you inebriated, intoxicated with a spirit that pets your selfish ambition that calls you into human success? Or are you living for Jesus, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following him? We won't do it perfectly. That's why he grants us mercy. But the lean of our hearts towards him, he's after a bride that will run hard after him with love in her heart, burning in passion for him, standing against the sway of this world. (laughs) You just be patient before the Lord for just a moment. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you right now, emphasize to our hearts our need for you, for truth, Where we've been intoxicated, I'm asking, sober us up right now. Awake, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. I speak to my own soul, wake up. Hey, if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on you right now, and you're saying, I want to, run out of Babylon and into Christ full-heartedly. I just want you to raise your hand all over the room. I'm not even looking. I just want you to notify the Lord. That's you. And I want to pray right now. Father, I'm asking for the grace that calls us into love and the beauty of Jesus. I'm asking for that to fill our entire spiritual family. 
Lord, we want to be those that stand wildly in love with Jesus, not stained at all by the system of this world, not living for self. You said in the last days, perilous times would come. Men would be lovers of self. We want to be lovers of Jesus. We want to be that bride living holy, clothed in garments of white. So, Father, we hear your voice saying, come out of her. Come out of her. Come out of her. Beloved, I just want you to consider before the Holy Spirit this week, just consider the trajectory of your heart. What are you giving your energies to? What's the trajectory of your life? What are you giving your affections to? What are you giving your time to? What's your devotion look like? I'm not asking, do you have a 30-minute quiet time and then go live by the spirit of this world? I'm asking, have you taken up your cross, denied yourself, and followed Jesus? Lord, I'm asking, deliver us from the spirit of this age. And bring us into purity, love, intimacy, bright, burning intimacy for the God-man Jesus. Oh, we love you, Lord. Help us to wake up. Wake us up. Wake us up. Wake us up, God. Draw us to yourself in love and draw us together in family. And let us be a people readied for a massive outpouring of your spirit and the return of the Lord. We give you thanks, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody that agreed said amen. Amen, amen and amen. God bless you.